1: I want to bring in Danny Blanchflower, Dartmouth University professor and former Bank of England policymaker. Danny, you think the Fed's made a mistake. Why?
2: Well, I do. I don't think there's any real data from the real world that actually justifies this. I think the other thing, guys, right, that the data looks quite good, but actually oftentimes, at times like this, the data revisions are what gets you, (coughs) excuse me, run cold. Um, That's what happened in 2008, and I've challenged people for quite a long time Obviously the data the GDP data is relatively strong driven a lot by the stimulus but these rate rises take a while to work their way through so yes the data may be strong but the question is what have the rate rise effects been and we it'll take us a while to know yep. and i think the evidence is that actually that's the the fundamental belief they have that the Nehru's around four and a half is wrong. There's no doubt in my mind that that's wrong. They have no explanation as to why there's weak wage growth. So I think this, these rate rises, the eight of them, with a slowing global economy, will kill off growth. So I think you have to sit there and say, what, what data from the real world actually justifies this? There's no inflation. Inflation expectations are pretty well anchored. They have no explanation for weak wage growth in a slowing global economy. It just seems to me, Danny, that the
1: the chairman is understating the importance of the inflation mandate, and he seems to be really focused on what is going to happen with financial imbalances, or potentially with financial imbalances, and we hear that from the chairman again and again and again and again. Are you saying that's wrong?
2: Well, I'm not sure that actually dealing with it through sets of interest rate increases may be wrong. I mean, the one possibility is you could have just held back on the interest rate increases and perhaps have shrunk the size of the balance sheet rather more. I mean, deal with it that way. If you're worried about imbalances and financial stability, deal with it with financial stability measures. It's not clear that, you know, using your mallet, the only thing you have a mallet of the interest rate will solve your problem for you. It'll kill off the real economy. Um, And I think your point is very good that Powell has kind of vacillated from one place to the other, and that's brought the president of the United States on his back. And so I think that sort of threatens the very independence of the bank. Are they making decisions to just sort of show themselves to be independent? But I think um, the markets, I mean, Guy was right. The markets don't really believe them. I don't think they're doing it right. A large number of other people think that this is an error. And recoveries end very often because the Fed makes an error in raising rates too soon. The global economy is slowing. I mean, I was looking um, a couple of days ago, in Germany and Italy, both both had negative quarters in the last quarter. So the global economy is weakening. And it will take a while for us to work out where we are now. And in all probability, yep. the U.S. economy is slowing now. Danny,
3: the, the real reaction from the markets yesterday came at the point that, that the Fed was talking about, Powell was talking about the balance sheet. Is, is the right. Fed underestimating, A, the effect that this, this kind of balance sheet runoff on rails is having on sentiment, and B, the effect that it's having on liquidity? Because that seems to be – the market was kind of okay with the other stuff, it seems, but it was kind of – when we started talking about that, that you got this real downdraft, particularly in equities.
2: Well, I think probably that's right. I mean, I I think that the the story is, having sat in the room and and voted on these things, my memory is that we really had very little idea what the effect of the asset buying was going to be as we bought it. We also had absolutely no idea what the effects would be once you started to sell them off. And I think, in a way, the right way to think of it was do it a little, be cautious, Try and sit and think about what the effects would be. Just to believe that the Fed knows what the effects on liquidity and other things of these of these asset sales um, would, you know, is is living in dream world. They have absolutely no idea. There's no economics to tell you this. So the potential is that these are having effects that they're unaware of, and the mar- and it's given the market the jitters. So I think we should be in caution mode, um, raising rates like, in, in this in this stream without really. Knowing what's going on, I think, is what's generating the concern in the markets, right? Danny,
1: always great to catch up with you uh, to talk about the world of central banking. Danny Blanchler, Dartmouth University professor. Danny, when's the book out? Thank you. He's not going to tell us?
3: No, he's not. Is it a secret? (laughs) Is it a secret, Guy? I don't know. He's gone, though, hasn't he? He's not going to tell us.
1: I I think it's going to be called It's the Labour Market Stupid or something like that. At least that's uh, what he told me 12 months ago.
3: That could have been the working title. Oh, okay. Let's uh, get a take from Howard Ward now, Gabelli Fund's CIO of Growth Equities. He joins us now. Howard, did the Fed make a mistake yesterday?
0: I think the big mistake was in uh, somewhat dismissing the role of quantitative tightening, the balance sheet reduction. Um, I think that's important. That's $50 billion a month rolling off the Fed balance sheet. That's $600 billion a year of liquidity being sucked out of the uh, economy. I think that's important, and I don't think that uh, Powell— uh, gave that its due consideration. I also think that uh, tightening eight times over the course of two years is uh, too rapid a, a move, given the 18-month lag that's associated with monetary policy changes, uh, in terms of the having the full impact on the economy. So we have five or six increases in the pipeline that really have yet to be fully digested by the economy. So I do think that given the lack of inflation And given the behavior of the global capital markets and the housing market here in the United States, I think the Fed very easily could have justified taking a pause. Uh, So I think they struck the wrong tone, and I think the dismissal of uh, quantitative tightening was a a big mistake. And so, you know, the market is in a downtrend, and I don't think the Fed's uh, comments yesterday are, are very helpful.
3: So what happens now? The market has learned what from this? Well, I think the market
0: has learned that the, uh, the so-called uh, Fed put is, uh, is no more. I think it's, uh, uh, I, I for one, went into this meeting feeling that the Fed got it, that the Fed uh, had heard the markets. And I say that because a couple of weeks ago, Richard Clarida, the vice chairman of the Fed, came out and walked back some of Powell's earlier comments, which seemed to indicate a robotic uh, approach to raising rates. And uh, not only that, but James Bullard, just a, a couple of days ago, the head of the St. Louis Fed, came out and said, maybe the Fed shouldn't raise rates at all in December, uh, which was, of course, the yesterday's meeting. And so I think that gave the market some indication that the Fed was more dovish than it turns out they actually are. And to see that, uh, 11, that 11 of the 16 members felt that uh, you might need to raise rates uh at least twice next year, and you had five or six or seven, thought maybe three times or more, I find that astonishing when I look around the world and see what's happening to global growth. The Fed, the old saying is the Fed always tightens until something breaks. And I think we are on that pathway right now, although there's still time for Uh, for the Fed to limit the damage that they've already done. And I say that because a slowdown is baked into the economy for the next year. And it would be baked in even if the Fed had done nothing yesterday. And that's, again, because of the lagged impact of monetary policy. The Fed admitted as much when they lowered their own GDP forecast for next year from 2.5 to 2.3. And that number will probably be lower than that at this
1: point. Howard, sentiment is totally shot. Just watching this feed on itself yesterday was incredible. I mean, a 4% move from the highs to end the day where we ended the day? Where are we going to get some comfort? Where do the bulls find comfort here? Is it in the data, in the earnings in Q1? Where does it come from?
0: Well, I mean, it's a very good point. I think the Dow had a reversal of about 730 points yesterday from peak to close. And uh, interestingly enough, uh, if you looked at the American Association of Individual Investor sentiment data on the market from last week, it was the largest uh, increase in bearish sentiment In in a number of years. In fact, the bearish sentiment was 48.9%. That's the highest reading since April of 2013. And the bullish sentiment was at 20.9%, which was the weakest reading since May of 2016. Now, typically, when you have extreme sentiment like that that's negative, that's a good sign the market's due for a bounce. And therefore, I find it all the more interesting that the market really didn't bounce. The market uh, had quite a reversal yesterday and declined. And so I do think that uh, I'm going to follow the general rule of technicians, which is that The deeper the decline and the wider the range of stocks that are declining, the longer it takes to stage a real recovery in the market. And so we've done a lot of damage to the stock market. I think it's going to take a while for us to recover to the point of new highs, but it's going to take a series of things. It's going to take good earnings, good guidance. It's going to need a a, a resolution of the trade problem with China. uh, And I'm not that optimistic that there's anything other than a short-term fix for that, but that would be helpful. Uh, But the Fed's going to have to play a role here too.
1: Howard, you've given us so much of your time on Bloomberg TV and Bloomberg Radio today, and we really appreciate your insight. Thank you very much, not just for today, but throughout 2018. Howard Ward, Gabelli Fund CIO of Growth Equities. I want to bring in Catherine Mann, City Global Chief Economist, who joins us in our New York studio. Catherine, your thoughts on that subject. How important is it, uh, what is happening right now for the Federal Reserve?
4: Well, we have to look at a broad measure of financial conditions. And we, when we look at that, we're, they're actually still accommodative. They're still accommodative. And so uh, what, you, you know, what we need to do is sort of parse through how these different components of financial conditions, whether it be equities, whether it be high yield, whether it be credit – Uh, regular credit, uh, the dollar. These follow through and affect businesses in different ways across different sectors. And uh, yes, I do agree that we have to be concerned about the technicals becoming the fundamentals. But once we parse through these, for example, uh, an equity crash, uh, how does that affect the real economy? Well, it might affect the real economy through the wealth effect and consumption spending. But in fact, since wealth is so concentrated and held directly, uh, very few people in the US actually hold stocks directly, um, that has statistically very little impact on consumption. People who hold wealth in 401ks um, or mutual funds, turns out they don't feel richer when the stock market went up. They don't feel poorer when it goes down. So the consumption effect through that channel is relatively low. And now think about high yield. Well, you know there are a bunch of um, that's a narrow market. It's not. It's much bigger than it used to be, of course, but it is. It is still a narrow market relative to the uh, you know the the span of businesses that are engaged in em- employing people, uh, paying them wages, and producing product. So uh, a vast swath of the uh, of the U.S. economy. and this is true for for Europe as well are you know they are plain vanilla borrowers and some of them actually don't even borrow right so those uh, those are on a pathway and and they're they're selling they're feeling pretty good about the way the economies are running right now
1: leverage loans is a bigger market than high yield the triple B's part of investment grade is a big Mm -hmm. part bigger than high yield This is a big, big market, and all of them are coming under pressure right now, Catherine.
4: Well, but they should be. They should be. I mean, we'd had 10 years worth of quantitative easing, which was designed to narrow risk spreads, which it did do. Uh, and it's now time to move towards the normal risk spreads, and that is associated with restrictions on credit uh, and a broad a range of uh, valuations. But again, when we look at financial conditions on a, on, a, on a broad basis, not just narrowly on a couple one segment versus another seg- segment, we are still in accommodative territory.
3: Catherine, what's the lag? Where are we with this with this story? Because I, I keep hearing this argument time and time again this morning mm-hmm. that the Fed has made a mistake and policy acts with a lag. I kind of put that into context for me from your from your research.
4: Well, uh, yes, policy acts with a lag, that's for sure. Now, the Fed making a mistake, um, you know, they they could have waited um, until next year to see um, a little bit more about how the digestion and the financial markets was doing. Um, But, you know, they had to weigh the— Way the concerns that the financial markets might be more concerned if they didn't move, because after all, the expectations were that the Fed was going to move in December, and if they didn't move, then in fact the markets might say, "Wow, uh, the Fed knows more than we do." In fact, the economy is much slower than we think, and so that could have caused the market to uh, tank even more than than we observed in yesterday's uh, session. So, um, you know, they're in a they're in a data dependent mode. The data that they are looking at is both the real side of the economy and the financial side of the economy. And there is quite a divorce right now between the data, when you look at the data for the real economy, uh, and the data that you look at for the financial markets. There's a huge divergence between those two right now. And we do worry about self-fulfilling prophecies, the financial markets being ultimately the decider uh, yep. For the real economy, we do worry about that a lot, okay. which is why we focus on these financial condition indexes, which give us some uh, guidance for uh, not just the delta on how much uh, you know where we are with the equity markets, for example, but also the level. These are both important indicators, not just not just how much things change, but what is the level.
3: Okay, so you have got two different things going on here, um, and two different aspects which will affect the real economy. And and what kind of happens next? So so is your view currently that the Fed is is making a mistake? And I'm I'm being very black and white about this. Mm-hmm. Or is the market making a mistake in its assessment of what is happening here? Because I they as you say they they they're very different things happening here mm-hmm. in terms of the messages they're communicating.
4: Well, if I had to, I, I mean, I just wrote about this, saying that that there's these two, there's this big divergence between the financial markets' assessment of the real economy and the the data in the real economy's assessment and measure and signal about uh, what's going on in the real economy. And and as I say the divorce is, is is dramatic right now. And the question is, um, if we if we parse down a little bit deeper. Uh, and we look at which parts of the real economy are the ones that are the strongest, Uh, it is the parts of the economy that basically doesn't engage deeply with Wall Street, and doesn't really engage deeply with the global economy. In other words, the trade war doesn't matter too much to these to these businesses. And they, they are a vast swath of, of the U.S. economy, and they are actually a vast swath of the European economy as well. And we can see that, for example, in, in the German um, data, where we look at the uh, small businesses' um uh valuations relative to the large businesses valuations the small businesses are actually doing better so you know that is an important distinction that i think is important when we think about the potential channels through which financial market turbulence might affect the real economy the channels are limited now on top of all this, we haven't, I've mentioned it once, but you know, we got, can't kind of ignore this trade war issue, which is a material risk for growth in the global economy, for the US economy, and of course, for others as well. We
1: spent the year waiting for the global softening in the economy mm-hmm. and the markets to feed back into the United States. The US market was resilient for a while until the previous three months, then bang, it's happened. Now the concern is that the feedback loop comes from the global economy into the US economy. Just as a final question, Catherine, as we look ahead to 2019, do you see the global economy economy becoming much more of a headwind to U.S. growth next year?
4: Well, we do have a down uh, – we did uh, r- write down uh, 2019 uh, based on what we've already seen in terms of the trade war having an impact uh, on, on, uh, on economies – um, you know, for the U.S., what we have for 2019 is we still actually have a lot of fiscal impetus coming through the U.S. economy from the from the original uh, budget spending bill from last year. A lot of it shows up in 2019, um, and then we also actually have a fair degree of domestic uh, investment resilience because we also expect the fiscal cliff that is associated with the budget caps in 2020 to actually be kicked ca- the can down the road. Uh, we, we've we observed that happening in previous um, kind of election years. So we have a, a profile for the U.S. growth rate that is is a more modest uh, uh, profile that, that moves um, deterioration in growth further out. Now, there is a deceleration. We do have a deceleration, but we're not talking about a deceleration uh, to below 2%. So, you know, we're still pretty strong.
1: Catherine Mann, always great to catch up with you. Thank and we've got to thank you for everything this year as well. Catherine Mann, City's Global Chief Economist, on a fascinating couple of days. From New York City, for our audience worldwide, this is Bloomberg Surveillance with... Guy Johnson stepping in for Tom Keen. Tom Keen's at home. Guy Johnson out of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow in New York. Let's get you some economic data, shall we? Your indicators brought to you, as always, Commonwealth Financial Network, the number one RIA broker dealer that J.D. Power has named highest in independent advisor satisfaction among financial investment firms five times in a row. Learn more at Commonwealth.com. Let's get you some economic data, shall we? Here's Vinnie. you Dice.
0: Jonathan and Guy, good morning. Well, the data on the labor market suggests it's still solid. Jobless claims up a bit to 214,000 last week, but that's still close to a half-century low. The report generally in line with forecasts. The prior week, 206,000. We also have figures coming up. The index of leading economic indicators from November, a gauge of where we may be three to six months from now. Economists surveyed by Bloomberg looking for that index to hold steady. Stall if you're a pessimist. We'll see. The Fed says the economy's healthiest. Healthy. Let's see what the LEI says. I'm Vinny Del Judas Bloomberg Radio. Let's go back to New York and London.
1: Hey, Vinny. Thank you very much. And Guy, this data just speaks to the problem the Federal Reserve has. The data is okay. The market is like, yeah, I know it's okay, but show me 2019 that 's a tough
3: thing to to do right now I, the the market and, and the Fed just seem to be on completely different pages um, and I guess if you sort of take a step back and look at this from thirty thousand feet, John, you can understand why we are going through a readjustment that has never really been attempted before, and everybody is kind of bumping their way across a darkened room trying to understand this, pro- this process. Let's try and get a little bit of ca- clarity now on kind of what is going on. Mariana Lakota, University of Rochester Professor of Economics and former Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis president and Bloomberg View columnist, joins us now. Good morning. The, the thing that everybody, the, well, the market seemed to react to yesterday, Mariana, was this, was this idea that the chair said, Basically, that the Fed is going to keep QT on autopilot and use rates to manage the situation. And it was that statement that the market seemed to react to. We didn't talk about the the balance sheet in the run up to this in a great sort of a great deal. Are you surprised that that is what the market reacted to?
5: Yeah, thanks a lot for having me on. I I am quite surprised by that because. you know, central bank communication uh, is remains an art rather than a science. But I thought that was a point that the Fed had been very clear about um, that they were planning to use the the balance sheet was going to be on autopilot, and the the tool of choice during the uh, as in terms of reacting to shocks now was going to be the, the path of short term interest rates. So I am surprised by that that uh, market somehow thought that the Fed was going to back away from that. Um, honestly, if the Fed were ever to back away from that, which I do not expect, it would take a, a long time for them to reach that stage. They would have to telegraph it uh, through speeches, through um, through uh, the minutes. Uh, it was not going to happen uh,
1: yesterday. Nariana, you weren't afraid of putting your hand up and saying this is bad policy. Would you have dissented yesterday?
5: Uh, yes, I, I, I would have. Um, I... I, earlier in the year, I spoke about um, how I remain concerned about uh, recessionary risks, not so much in terms of there being very high probability, but really in terms of what kind of toolkit the Fed had, had available to deal with those. Arguably, we, those recessionary risks uh, have risen. Um, you know, that's maybe a signal you'll take from markets. And when you're close, as close to the 0 lower bound as the Fed remains, um, you, the, the, the rule of thumb is you want to keep rates low in order to keep the economy healthy. There's this, there's this uh, meme out there that the Fed wants to raise the rates so they can lower them during a uh, during a recession. That is that is not correct. Yeah. Um, you want to keep them low to keep the patient healthy.
3: Should we get rid of the dots?
5: Um, you know, I was never a fan of the dots. Um, you know, I, I uh, I'm not sure if that's out yet, but I, I I was never a fan of the dots, Um I uh, um, so I would say yes, we should, but we will not. I I I just think it's very once you release a piece of communication, very difficult to uh, to back away from it. I do not, you know, any of the communication changes Fed makes, we yeah. were always aware you're stuck with them forever.
1: Professor, just as a final question. Is the 2016 playbook a useful guide to what we're going through right now, or is it really different two years later?
5: That's a great question. Um, You know, I I, I think, uh, because I think it highlights the movements in markets that I find more concerning than what's going on in equities, which is, it receives more of the attention. You know, I I think that the decline in tips break even is something I would be tracking very carefully if I was in the committee. And that feels to me, uh, more uh, like 20, early 2016. Um, you want to you keep watching that, see what's going on. If, if I continue to see declines in that, I, I would expect that the Fed would, would want to uh, take account of that in their policy decisions.
1: Narayana Coach lakota great to catch up with you. As always, University of Rochester Professor of Economics and, of course, former Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis president and Bloomberg View columnist.